Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hey there, Holtcast listeners. Cole here. Just a quick note before we get you into this edition of the Holtcast, or I guess you could call it the World Cupcast for this one. I just wanted to make a quick note that Seb and Tom recorded this a few days ago, so the odd thing is slightly out of date. For example, they're talking pre-Belgium v. Canada, so you might be sitting there wondering, why does this sound like it's pre-match? Well, it was, but 99.9% of this podcast is up to date it's more of an overview of the entire tournament and uh, is well worth a listen if I do say so myself after listening to the entirety in the edit and post edit so uh, keep your ears tuned enjoy it and uh, let's get you over to the guys Hello and welcome to a World Cup edition of the Hulkcast, as I am joined by one of our own, Tom Nightingale. Originally, we wanted Simon. However, he is currently making friends with everyone he comes across out in Qatar, whilst he is definitely 100% sober. Simon definitely isn't a rule breaker. Um, If you don't get what I mean by that reference, if you follow Simon's Instagram, it is very entertaining as he is on a challenge to take a photo with a fan from every single nation currently represented at the World Cup in Qatar. And it makes for amusing viewing. So if I was you, I'd head over there. But anyways, I digress. How are you, Tom? Yeah, I'm good. Thanks, man. How are you? Yeah, not bad. Now, at the time of recording this, obviously, Wales have currently drawn one all to the USA. And obviously, you are a big Wales fan. Do you, should we start by talking about why why you represent Wales? Yeah, sure. I mean, uh, it's an interesting one, right? England and Wales in the same group for me, because I'm uh, half English, half Welsh. Born, born in England, but uh, my mum's Welsh and... Went, spent a lot of time in Wales as a kid, went to university in Wales um, and feel a really strong affinity for them, really. I think part of it for me is that obviously, like I'll always take an interest in the English national team. But um, as a kid, I was a very sort of uh, enthusiastic England fan. And I think as the years have gone on, I don't know, I find support in England just a bit, um, find the English national team a bit sterile. Do you know what I mean? Like, I, I it's not. I find it hard to get excited for a lot of reasons, really. Whereas Wales, part of the reason, obviously, I think Wales typically not having as much success in terms of qualifying for tournaments and everything until the last few years makes any success that you get um, as a Wales supporter mean that much more. And then, I mean, you saw it today with the, anyone who watched the game, like the way that the way that the Welsh belt out the national anthem and the le- like, the pa- the level of passion on show. It's it's then very hard as like a half Welsh person to not get swept up in all that in a way that you don't really get swept up with England. Um, so that's it really. And then seeing Wales do seeing Wales do so much better in recent years, obviously starting with Euro 2016, that amazing run to the semi-finals, and then only lost at the last, uh, only lost in 2021 uh, to a to a good Denmark side. 
Um, it's great. It's great to see Wales in such a great position, really. And then I'm sure we'll talk a bit more about the game. But I thought they were put on a, put a good account of themselves in again today. I mean, talk us through the feeling that it must have watching that Wales team stand out and belt the national anthem at a World Cup for the first time since 1958, 64 years. How does that feel as a fan? I mean, it's like it's like it gets the it's like that expression. It gets the blood pumping, gets the heart beating. But it like it is that is exactly what it is. And it's I said it's interesting. I was having a I was chatting to my mum on uh, Facebook Messenger earlier today. She's uh, she's where I get my Welsh my Welshness from. She's uh, Welsh born and bred. And I was saying, you know, it's it it sort of struck me that this was Wales's first World Cup game in not only my lifetime, but in my mum's lifetime as well. She wasn't alive last time Wales were at a World Cup. And my two Welsh grandparents who were alive last time Wales were at a World Cup are sadly no longer with us. So it's that really puts into perspective, I think, quite how long it's been. And um, you can just see what it it means to them. Um, There's been a a really um, emotional sort of story come out even since the game finished where Nico Williams uh, who I thought played very well today for Wales actually um, he was in tears at the full-time whistle um, and he's since given an interview afterwards said that his his uh, his grandfather died last night and so then to go out and play when you're you know to go out and play in an occasion that means so much to any Welsh person any Welsh family I thought that was really indicative of um the emotionality around what it means to be Welsh and what it means to follow the Welsh football team. So it's just, it's, it's, it, it's great to see, honestly, the support. I don't think anybody does, I'm slightly biased. I don't think anybody does the, uh, does a national anthem like the Welsh, maybe the Italians. Um, although we won't find out that will we this World Cup about the Italians. Um, but it's just fantastic to see. And then with the, with the team themselves backing it up on the pitch as well. Um, you know, I didn't know what to expect from the game today, but I thought Wales were very poor in the first half. But to see the way they fought back second half and how much the equaliser means, and that's going to give them so much confidence going forward. Um, yeah, I don't know. It's just a fantastic sort of journey to be even a tiny part of as a, as, as a Welsh fan. I mean, when you put it like that, that it's your first World Cup game with Wales and also your mum's, I mean, if I think about it, at the top of my head, the only person that I know in existence that has seen Wales in a World Cup would probably be Simon. Um, so you have <laughs> to ask his opinions on their last game. But um, yeah, let's let's move forward to today's game. Obviously, it won't be today, the time this goes out. Um, but yeah, I'd probably agree with you. It seemed as though Wales struggled to come out of the blocks quite quickly. I mean, it's it's evident for people to see that the USA are a very pressing team, very similar to Jesse Marsh's leads in a sense of the all guns blazing, you know, they'll step onto opposition, try and force them into a mistake, move up the pitch quickly. Everything is done at almost uh, 110 miles an hour. And it was really interesting to see how Wales would combat that personally from a neutral point of view, as, you know, everyone associates the Welsh with the heart that they need to win, not necessarily the best players, but they have that team spirit. So it'd be interesting to see how they'd soak it all up. And I do think they struggled in the first half. Um, Rob Page certainly had decisions to make at halftime, but I think he made the right calls. And, you know, it was almost night and day between the two half performances. Um, 
in the end, Wales got the equaliser that their play probably merited. I mean, overall, would you say a point is a fair result? I think I would, really. It was a classic. Like I don't like using the, the cliche, but sometimes it's true. The classic game of two halves, and it. I think that I think you're right about the change. The changes that Rob Page made made a big difference, and I think there's a strong argument that. I like Rob Page a lot. He seems to learn the lessons um, during games. You know, we talk as Villa fans a lot about having had managers in the past who just aren't proactive enough with their with their substitutions during the game. There's nothing more frustrating as a fan than feeling like you have options on the bench and seeing the manager not change it. But I thought the Kiefer Moore substitution was excellent. He should have, I think Kiefer Moore should have started really. Cause like you said, U- US they're pressing, they're a very young team. And I think quite hard to predict because we've never seen them before at a world cup. Like I think they've only got one player in the squad, DeAndre Yedlin, who's play, who played, has played at a world cup before with the US. Um, so it's very hard to predict them, but I thought that, it became, became apparent really, really, really early on that Wales just didn't have an outlet, right? And the problem is when you don't have an outlet up front like Kiefer Moore to hold the ball up, you sort of can't really carry Gareth Bale and Aaron Ramsey without having a foil for them and somebody for them to work with. I, uh, too, too often Wales lost the ball in the first half. It's, it's really interesting. I actually bought until quite late on. I thought Bale was pretty much Wales' worst player today until late on and like part of it is trying to do too much on his own because he is that guy who does have that level of ability that I think it's fair to say is a class above a lot of the Welsh squad um but he didn't really have the outlet and but then when we made the change keeper more came on I like Brennan Johnson off the bench as well I really I really like the look of him at Forest um last year and this year and he, I thought he had a good impact off the bench as well um and a good thing for me is that there'll be lessons learned there. Um, and I think in the end, the point was a, a fair result. US will probably be a bit, you know, I would imagine the US will be more disappointed than the Welsh fans are because they should have, if they'd gone a bit more for the jugular in the first half, they could have put the game to bed, definitely. But then you think about Kiefer Moore had that close range header second half that he probably should have scored. Wales were pressing a lot more, you know, Bale did well to win the penalty, definite foul. Yeah, point point of piece is fair enough. I think it's it's it sets it up for an interesting group. I think looking ahead at that second, who's going to get that second spot? I mean, I I completely agree, and we'll come further on into the group in a minute. But I just want to stick with team selection for a second. Now we'll start with Kiefer Moore. Obviously, he didn't start on this occasion. Um, however, it's fascinating to me watching Kiefer Moore because probably a year ago, I probably wasn't too sure about him as a player. Then, obviously, he goes to Bournemouth. He sends Bournemouth promoted. He scores the goal to send them up. Um, And then everyone was sort of writing him off, really, and he's really gone on to cause some damage in the Premier League, not not less against Villa themselves on the opening day of the season. So, yeah, watching him, I've always thought that he's able to make an impact. You see those big, tall strikers, and I always think of Rudy Gestead when he was at Villa, a useless lank up front. Whereas he always seems to make an impact. He's brilliant in the air, but he's also really good down with the ball at his feet as well. He's able to link up well. Um, And I think he could be a real asset to Rob Page's side. Also, Brennan Johnson, again, just like you, I'm a massive, massive fan. Um, Have been for a while. You know, I speak to a lot of people, none more so than Mark McAdam at Sky. And, you know, a lot of people rave about Brennan Johnson. I think the quality is there 
to see. Now, the other one that hasn't been mentioned yet is I was really surprised that Wayne Hennessy started over Ward, and I was wondering if you could shed any light on that. Is that just that Rob Page prefers Hennessy? I mean, for me, I probably would have gone with Ward. A lot of people were criticising him at the start of the season, but I think part of Leicester's resurgence, if you like, up the league in the last few weeks was was down to him and down to their sturdy defence. So it, it was a shock to me to see him on the bench. Yeah, I think that's mainly just... Um, I agree. Like, uh, Danny Ward, I don't think, kind of done, can't really have done much more this season considering how... I mean, Leicester have had that upswing now. Um, but uh, he, he, Ward couldn't have really done more for Leicester, I think, in the early games this season considering how, uh, how poorly they were playing. I think with Hennessy, it's just... He's such a staple of this Welsh team. I know that at club level, he's one of he's one of the players I think for Wales that doesn't really get much credit for his club career. And you can kind of understand it because he's not he hasn't exactly you know he's not got awards to his name or anything like that. But he's a he's a pretty solid, dependable goalkeeper, and I think he's one of these as well that Wales have a lot of these players in their squad who the Wales version of the player is a bit of a different beast to the club version of the player. Um, and so I think Hennessy is just Rob Page's man as he was, you know, Chris Coleman's man. And I, I th- like, I think he's such a staple part of the team that it's that thing of, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. Maybe, you know, why twist, why twist when you can stick with something solid and dependable? Um but yeah, no, it's interesting because Hennessy did say, I think, like two or three days ago, I read something about Hennessy saying that the he thought the number one spot was up for grabs um, because of Danny Ward's form. Um, but I mean, someone like Hennessy, when you've got like over 100 caps for your country and you're still going strong, certainly at national team level, um, hard to drop him, I guess. Yeah, I mean, I, I completely see where you're coming from. It makes sense. Um just before we move on from Wales, um, obviously England and Iran still to play, um, with the latter being played first. For me, again, I'm, I can only speak from a neutral point of view, so feel free to put me in my place if you think I'm wrong. But for me, it feels as though whoever's going to qualify second or as the second team to qualify is going to be the team that manages to potentially get a result over England. I mean, I watched the England result today and, you know, Iran looked really, really poor. I know we conceded two, but I think that was probably more England being naive at the back than Iran being any good. I mean, they had two chances and scored them bar a a good Pickford save. So I'd imagine both teams would avoid that banana skin if you like. So, you know, is it a case of Wales have to get something against England in order to make it out of the group? You know, I don't, I, I don't really think it is. It's difficult to predict. Like, I for me, the second spot in this group is so marginal. Like, if England don't, if England don't get nine points, don't end on nine points and a plus nine or ten goal difference, I'll be stunned. Honestly, um, I think England. I think England. Are, like touching on England for a moment, I think England are better now than they were when they reached the final of the Euros. Um, I think they're bedded in a bit more as a national team player. People like Bellingham, who's always been quality, has come on even more like leaps and bounds. I thought he was England's best player today. Um, so I think England will win all three. And so then it's just, I don't even think it's so much about who can get, who can pull out a result against, 
against England or anything like that. I think it's who can avoid slipping up, honestly. Because Iran looked to me to have, especially they brought on, I can't remember his name, Sada as as Moon, maybe. They've got a, the the a couple of players who look like they can do some serious damage. Like I'm not going to claim to have watched Iran play football very much. Um, but they look like they have a couple of players who can do some serious damage. Um, and so I think we saw today Wales and US. Uh we saw both sides of the coin, I think, right? Like Wales, Wales were awful first half because they I think they got the game plan wrong and they were a bit taken aback by US's in, intensity but then the thing is with the us is touched upon it before being such a being a being such a young squad um nobody's got any world cup experience you know like their captain is 23 years old they've got a very young team so i think that's a factor in them fading during the game today maybe and that's something that if you're like greg berhalter uh the us coach it's difficult isn't it how do you fix that if you've got a young team and their 90 minutes at a World Cup is a big ask for a for, for a young team. The other factor for the US as well is that they do have quite a few players. They're spread out among the the European top European leagues because they do have a lot of talent there, but they've got a few people who really have not had a huge amount of game time. Serginio Dest today with their, their fullback, um, who I thought was decent today for them. Barely gets any time. He's uh, Barcelona on loan at Milan, I think. Um, and there's a few others who don't even, you know, Pulisic himself, you could say, doesn't get much, isn't getting a huge amount of game time at Chelsea. So I think that's a big factor for the US. Um, and then Wales, it's I think for me, Wales, it's all about that defensive solidity. That's what Wales have built upon. Um, because yeah, I know they went one down and they weren't very good first half, but I never really felt like Wales were in danger of conceding a second goal against the US. Um, even before they grew into the game, when it was all really all US in the first half, I never really felt like Wales were going to concede again because um, Wales don't concede that many goals. Um, and so I think it's going to be fine lines, right? Um, I think that with, you know, I, I'm glad that Wales have Iran next and England have US next because I think what we saw a bit today as well was a bit of a swing in momentum second half us will be walking away from that thinking we really should have won that put that game to bed already wales will be walking away thinking honestly as a wales fan watching it i was thinking it's it's kind of daylight robbery from a wales point of view considering how how bad they were in the first half it's pretty good come away with a point and have been in the ascendancy at the end um and then for us to go into the most difficult fixture in the group next and wales to go into what on paper you would probably label as the, the the least daunting fixture anyway on paper no disrespect to Iran um I like that it's that way around I know in Wales having England last will be difficult but hopefully like hopefully by then you're in a situation where if Wales can beat Iran sit on four points US you've got to think will will you've got to think will lose to England really so there'll be you know Wales will be on four US could be on one um that's a big cyclone psychological advantage going into the last the last day as well you know the last game week um i think four points realistically is going to be enough for the team in second to get through whether it's on goal difference or whether it's because one of one of wales or us slipped up against iran um so you've just got a it's not really a satisfying you know note to end the response on but you've got to just uh hope that the fine margins i think fall your way and the luck falls your way a little bit um, I think it's a straight shoot out between Wales and the US.
I mean, yeah, I'd, I'd completely agree. And we'll we'll touch more in detail about the groups as a whole um, a bit further down the line. I just want to shift slightly from Wales to another country that you're supporting, um, Canada. I was wondering if you could potentially shed some light on your history with the Canadian team. Yeah, sure. I mean, the good thing about international, it's interesting us having this conversation um, on, on, on Twitter with a couple of people over the last few days. The thing I like about international football is that um, a lot of people, particularly in today's day and age where people move around quite a lot or people have come from mixed ancestry in terms of nations, like club football is very, the word that is used a lot is tribal, isn't it? Like club football, if you're an English football fan, you have like, we're Villa. Most of us were born Villa some way or another or got hooked on Villa very early in life. And from then on, it's only Villa, right? Um, I couldn't even contemplate supporting another club team. But country-wise, I feel like there are a lot of countries that are part of my identity now. England and Wales, obviously, from family and from heritage. And then Canada, for those who don't know, I'm based out in, in Canada near Toronto, have been for the last seven years. Um, and the thing with me supporting, you know, supporting the Canadian team in this World Cup, again, it's their first World Cup in 36 years, so not quite the same, not quite the length of, of Wales' drought. Um, Canada been at one before as well, 1986. Um, but Canadian football's been on a hell of a journey the last few decades. And I mean, the short version is that apart from a, a Gold Cup win, which is like the North, the sort of North American Federation tournament in 2000, they've been pretty much bad <laughs> for a long time. But now... Um, Players like Alfonso Davies, Bayern Munich, Jonathan David from Lille in Liga, who has uh, been one of the top scorers in the French top flight the last couple of years. Um, they've got a few players in the Champions League knockout stages as well. Steven Eustachio, uh, Porto, Tejon Buchanan, uh, uh, Club Brugge. So they do have a lot of talent around. Um, I think what I'm most excited about as a Canadian follower is for the rest of the world to hopefully discover the level of talent that Canada has now. And that's the reason that I sort of support them and are so interested in this World Cup is because having lived here for seven years, uh, football's always been like a minority sport over here. You know, it's your NHL hockey, uh, NBA, baseball, um, a lot of NFL interest as well because of the US. So, but there's MLS, obviously, Toronto FC, Vancouver Whitecaps, Montreal Impact. There's now a Canadian Premier League that started uh, three or four years ago. So it's been growing for years and years and years. And it's and it's culminated all of that in, a, honestly, a remarkable run from the Canadian national team. They won, uh, they won CONCACAF qualifying ahead of the US, ahead of Mexico. Um, they didn't, you know, they went unbeaten in four games against Mexico and the US. These are teams who historically beat Canada with ease, you know, year after year or qualifying cycle after qualifying cycle. Um, so for Canada to be here is a huge deal for the, for the country. And again, it's that, like talked about with Wales and the passion of it. Like um, the whole, I can tell you from being out here, like the whole country is getting swept up in this. Um, it's Belgium first game for Canada on Wednesday. It's like starts don't get much harder than the team who were the world number one nation for three years until earlier in 2022. Um, and then beyond that, fascinating, an aging Croatia team. And then Morocco, 
Hakim Ziyech and Ashraf Hakimi and a few other talented players Morocco have. Um, obviously, it's going to be a huge task. I think I get caught up being in Canada. Obviously, my view on it is very Canadian-centric at the moment. So I'm very interested to know how the outside world is kind of viewing Canada. I would imagine that most people would look at that and they would take Canada for fourth place in the group based on the fact that other these other nations typically are at the World Cup more often. But honestly, I wouldn't. I wouldn't be too surprised to be Canada to see Canada spring some kind of shock. I'm not talking beating Belgium in game one. I think we should keep our aims slightly more realistic. Belgium do have some vulnerabilities. I don't think they're as good as they were like four years ago, but I'm not expecting Canada to pull out a result against that, against Belgium. But the second two games, Croatia and Morocco, I think are fascinating. I wouldn't I wouldn't back against Canada. I wouldn't back against Canada honestly getting three or four points from this group stage if they can really play to the top of their ability. Because um, it really is. It's a team. It's a bit mismatched as you get over, you know, over here quite a lot. Got some of the players playing, some of the players playing MLS or play for like lower, what you might call um, less renowned European leagues. But they've also got stars who, you know, have been lighting up the Champions League for the last couple of years. So I'm just, I'm just really excited to see where this takes Canada and for the rest of the world to discover a bit more about the Canadian team. I mean, you've touched on them in depth beautifully there. I think you've already ticked off most of the questions I had for you. Um, Now, one of the questions I did have is if by any chance we've got any Belgium, Croatia or Morocco fans listening, um, what can they expect from the Canadian national team in terms of not only play style, but when they face them, how, what sort of match can they anticipate? Yeah, Canada, Canada. So Canada coached by uh, John Herdman is actually a, uh, he's a Geordie, I think. He's from somewhere in County Durham, definitely. Um, you'll hear him on a, you'll hear him on an interview when you're watching the games. He's got like the broadest Geordie accent you could, uh, you could imagine. I know Anton Decker on TV in the UK at the moment. It's similar, uh, similar to that. Um, but he's a coach who really likes, from what we've seen, Canada from the qualifying, um, he likes to press. Canada will press a lot. Um, they'll sit back, obviously, naturally against teams like Belgium, probably against Croatia as well. Um, but they have a defensive trio who play have played a lot of football together for Canada. The defense is pretty locked in. Um, certainly, the the certainly certainly. They can either play with the back four or they can play with a sort of a back three slash five. But either way, the cent- the central defenders have played a lot of time together. Um, so that understanding helps a lot. And he also likes to screen the midfield, particularly against big teams. I mentioned Steven Utakio plays for Porto. He's a very, very he's a classy player, actually. Uh very good on the ball. And then they've got people like Atiba Hutchinson, who's the Canada team, Canada team captain. He's 39 years old, plays for Pashikas, and he's uh likes to sort of sit in front of defence, screen the defence, but also not too shabby at all with the ball at his feet. There'll be quite a lot of sitting back and trying to absorb pressure and then playing out from there. But the Canada's main weapon, 100%, is the pace in transition, like pace on the counter-attack. Alfonso Davies, I mean, by this point, is renowned not only as, I would go as far as they probably one of the best wide players in the world, certainly one of the quickest players in world football so fast it's unbelievable um i should i can i should encourage listeners if you haven't seen the goal that alfonso davies scored for canada against panama in qualifying you have to see it 
because that shows how that that shows his pure pace. Um, and then Jonathan David, I mentioned already, plays for Lille. Excellent goal scorer in the French division. Pejan Buchanan, a winger, plays for Club Bruges. Um, in those three, they have an incredibly dynamic trio who play just off the main striker. The main striker will be um, will almost certainly be Kyle Laren, who is uh, became Canada's men's all time uh, national record goal scorer in qualifying. Um, he's one of those good hold up, you know, decent hold up play, close range finishes. Um, he also plays for Bruges with Tejan Buchanan. He's also in the Champions League knockout stages. Doesn't get as much game time for Bruges as Buchanan does. But um, so, you know, in that, in that packing trio, you've got four players who play, champ, you know, Champions League knockout football quality. Um, Davis, David, and Buchanan are so quick and so dynamic. And so, particularly against Belgium in game one, the game plan is going to be sit back, try and absorb, present, try and absorb pressure from Belgium, let them have the ball. Um, obviously try and stifle people like De Bruyne, because you've got to you've got to do what you can, haven't you, to stop a guy with that range of passing and movement. Um, but then keep an eye out for when Canada get the ball, they'll be trying to break at breakneck speed. I think the key for them is going to be they can break very quickly against teams like a team like Belgium or Croatia, you're going to have to break not only very quickly, but very accurately. Um, you know, one and two touch on the counter-attack. But that's certainly Canada's main weapon. I do think they'll score at least a, at least a hand, a, you know, at least a small handful of goals at this tournament. Um, I'd back them to score against Morocco, definitely. I'd back them to score against Croatia as well, um, honestly, given the pace they have on the counter-attack. Um, so I think that's it, really. Just there'll be a lot of, obviously there'll be a lot of fighting spirit and passion the same way that you get from the Welsh with it being the first World Cup that any, not only that any of these players have played in, but not going to lie, uh, even five or six years ago, Canadians playing at a World Cup was a pipe dream. Unless you're called, unless your name's Owen Hargreaves, obviously, and you're playing for England. Um, but Canadians playing at a World Cup was a pipe dream until very recently. So it it means so much to the whole country and the whole squad. So I think you'll have that passion, that fighting spirit. But just I'm looking forward, like I said, I'm looking forward to people seeing the quality that Canada have as well, at least in at least particularly in the attacking third. I mean, yeah, perfect again. And just one last question before we move on to our final segment of the podcast. And you, you touched on quite briefly about the rise in which Canadian football has almost taken over and the speed at which it's done so, um, how it's developed in such a short amount of time. How, how do you think that happened and what, could be the factors behind that happening because obviously you look at Jonathan David who was once linked to Villa and Alfonso Davis who like you said I think is one of the best left backs in the world at the moment surely it's not just down to some of the players that they have there's got to be a a bigger story behind it almost like an iceberg you have Jonathan David and Alfonso Davis as a tip but surely as you dive deeper and submerge deeper there's a there's a bigger story behind it yeah i mean there's uh it's just it's laying laying the building blocks i think over over years and years right and um the infrastructure has improved massively is a big is, is a big thing over here really um i think I, I i think something that's helped it is canadian franchises in mls 
um, Toronto FC, Vancouver Whitecaps and Montreal Impact. Um, generally over the years hadn't haven't been hadn't been very successful. And then um listeners might remember six six years ago, something like six years ago, Toronto FC won the um won MLS Cup and they had Sebastian Javinko, who used to play for Juventus in Italy, was the big star they got over here. And now, you know, TFC have Lorenzo Insignia, um, got him from Napoli while he's still arguably in the game, maybe the late stages, but still pretty much in the prime of his career. He's not even that old. Um, Federico Bernadeschi as well from Juventus. Um, these are recent developments, but it speaks to the level of commitment to the game, I think, that has grown in Canada in, re- in, in recent years. I know I mentioned at the start of this that soccer's never really, soccer has never really been a, a major sport in North America and or certainly you know not in Canada. Um hockey and stuff like that are always going to be king over here, but it's it's changed massively. Football was the greatest, I think there's a I can't remember the exact parameters of the stat, but football is the most uh popular sport in Canada by participation now. Um whereas always that used to be hockey. Uh and it just shows a, a it's a combination of things, Premier League rights over here even. Like I know it's interesting from the UK it's easy to sort of sneer about, and it's understandable as well, to sneer about how so much of the Premier League and other major European leagues, but primarily the Premier League, are based on sort of TV money and TV revenue and broadcast games getting moved for kickoff, you know, kickoff move for TV and all that sort of stuff. As a UK fan, obviously, it's understandable that that could be quite annoying at times. But what it does do is it grows the game massively abroad. And Canada is one of those countries I think that's really benefited from 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 that development. Throw in the sort of additional funding into infrastructure and training and grassroots level over here, and I think what's happening now is the, the class of 2022, if you like, is the first real tangible reward on a national scale for that commitment to the sport. And uh, so it's just fantastic to see Canada here. I hope they put out a really good account of themselves. And then the exciting thing from a Canadian point of view is four years' time, 2026, Canada will be one of the co-hosts. There'll be World Cup games being hosted in Toronto and a couple of other Canadian cities. And so I think we're over here now as a country. Canada's on a really great path to football just growing and growing in popularity but also in stature you're seeing more canadians sprinkled around major european leagues like expect to see that trend continuing um because now we're at a point where canadian academies and schools are producing that level of talent that had just been missing uh for years and years before before recent years it's that time of the year your vacation is coming up You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... 
All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. I mean, I think you summed it up perfectly and I can almost see the tear forming in Cole's eye, just to how well you summed it up as he edits this podcast. Um, now, just before I move on, we've got something new to the Hulkcast channel, and that is a game. Now, normally, I'd like a little intro song to a game show. However, I don't think Cole has the um, abilities to do that. Maybe he can start rapping again as we <laughs> as we transition into this please <laughs> into this next section. So I would like your predictions. Now I've got it up on my phone. I will read out the groups to you and I would like you to tell me where you think they're gonna finish. Now it's only right to start in alphabetical order. So if we start with group A, we've got obviously the holders, Qatar, who have already played and lost to Ecuador. And then Netherlands and Senegal played today at the time of recording, where Netherlands won 2-0 as well. Yeah, I think um, it's an interesting one. Qatar, I think, will... I'll be surprised if Qatar score, barring some kind of shady shenanigans... I think Qatar have got their work out to score a single goal at this tournament, I'll be honest. Um, I don't like to um, dismiss the uh, dismiss the little guy, but I guess the Qatar aren't really the little guy, are they, in this, in this example? It's not the football team's fault that all of this, there's all this controversy and all this stuff, but um, I, think, I don't think Qatar will score a goal, and I don't think anybody would be particularly upset about that. Um, I think Netherlands will win. I think Netherlands will win the group. I don't think they're. I don't think Netherlands are like a a footballing force to fear. Like I don't think they'll get particularly far. I think Netherlands got to the quarterfinal. They'd probably be quite satisfied with that. I don't know, um, but I do think they'll win the group. And then and it's interesting between Ecuador and Senegal. Like Ecuador clearly, Ecuador seems to be one of these teams who come to the. You know, I don't pay much attention to South American qualifying, but Ecuador always seems to put in a pretty good account of themselves. Um, Enna Valencia seems to score literally every time I see him play for Ecuador. Um, and Senegal, I just think, you know, like Ismail Assar, I thought was very dangerous um, against the Netherlands today, as you know, time of recording. Um, they've got a few other good players, Adrissa Gay and people like that. But it's it's really hard with Senegal to look beyond the fact that Tadio Mane is not there. It's just such a huge hit for them because he is... You know, not to dismiss the other players that Senegal have, but he is kind of Senegal in terms of he's their not he's their sort of figurehead, and also he's clearly he is their best player. Uh, and I think that might be the thing that proves to be the deciding factor, and I think maybe gives Ecuador the edge in finishing second. So, had Mane been fit, I'd have been tipping Senegal for certainly the second spot, and maybe even to rival Netherlands for top spot, but. Without him, I just think they're going to struggle for goals. And so I'm going to say Netherlands top and Ecuador in second. I mean, I completely agree. And you touched on Mane there just quickly. And if I had to compare it, I'd probably say to... It sounds as though when Villa were missing Jack Grealish almost when he was out through injury, it, it seems very, very similar to me. So we'll lock that in. Uh, move on to Group B. Obviously, this is the one that we've spent a lot of time talking about today. 
England, Iran, who obviously England beat today, USA and Wales. I'm going to go in order, England, Wales, USA, Iran. Uh, I'm I never expected anything different of you. <laughs> I'm going to be confident and say that I think Wales will get through. Honestly, I'm. it's like it is as close to a 50-50 split for me as possible between Wales and USA. I think it's going to be such a fine margin and I really wouldn't, I wouldn't be surprised to see it come down to one of the sort of more you know, a few a few rungs down the ladder of the the um, deciding factors in the group. So if it's not goal difference, goal scored, head to head, obviously they've drawn today. Like I wouldn't see it. I wouldn't be surprised to see it come down to some kind of mathematical wizardry to decide between Wales and the US. Because I do think that Wales and the US will probably both will probably both beat Iran and both lose to England. So then you're down to goal difference already, aren't you? Um, I'll, but I'll say Wales. Got to say Wales, haven't I? Really? You have to. You had no, your hands were tied. <laughs> now, as we move on to Group C, this is a very Villa-filled group. We've got Argentina, who obviously Emmy Martinez is looking to go far into the tournament with them. We've then got Saudi Arabia. Then we've got Mexico, who I was actually speaking to Brian Little today and I was asking him about his underdog for the tournament and he couldn't speak highly enough of Mexico. He really seemed to think that they would go far in this tournament. And then the last team in the group is Poland, who are obviously sporting on loan Villa star Jan Bednarek and our very own Polish Kafu Matty Cash. So I like I I think Argentina are going to win the group. I, we'll get on to we'll get on to predictions beyond the group stage. I'm sure, but I do think there's a reason that a lot of people seem to be looking at Argentina as one of the favourites to potentially win the whole tournament. Um, I think they'll win the group. I wouldn't be surprised to maybe see them drop points in one in you know in a game get through on seven points. Um, but equally, they they could they could win all three handsomely. I think um, it. Yes, it depends on the fine margins of, of certain games. Um, it's interesting about Brian Little back in Mexico. I, 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 they're probably my pick to finish second ahead of Poland. I think. I, but Poland seems to be one of these teams for me who always fail to follow through on the promise that they have. They've got they've got a lot of talented players, but I just I'm never really confident in seeing them perform to the best of their ability. Whereas I think Mexico seemed to be, you know, I mean, I saw Canada's games against them. Um, in qualifying and Mexico was still pretty good in those games. It's just that Canada, Canada were riding such a wave of confidence and form and um, that I think that was a deciding factor against Mexico. Mexico were maybe a bit underwhelming in qualifying, but they do seem to be a kind of team. They're one of the teams, I think, from North and South America who seem to step it up quite often at a World Cup finals. So I'll have Mexico in second to Argentina and I wouldn't be surprised to see Argentina against Mexico be a draw rather than an Argentina win as well. Well, there we go. Brian Little and Tom Nightingale in agreement there. Moving on swiftly. France, Australia, Denmark and Tunisia. Now, at the time of recording, just like Group C, none of these teams have played yet. However, there's a growing agreement amongst neutral fans that France are really going to struggle in this World Cup due to their long list of absentees. Obviously, Nkunku and Benzema have both been ruled out of the tournament completely since travelling with the squad. And then there's, you know, a long list of names 
regardless of that, just including Pogba and Kante. So it'll be interesting to see whether you see a potential upset here with France potentially not topping this group. How do you see this one going? Uh, I All of those are valid points, particularly the one about France losing their... I mean, they're pretty much their nailed-on first-choice central midfield pairing, right, in Pogba and Kante. Like, that's huge. And to lose Benzema... Losing Benzema for any other, it's a it's a huge blow, don't get me wrong. For any other country, that would be like an absolute knockout blow and would probably flatten them. It's just that France happened to have Gillian Mbappe, Griezmann. <laughs> it's ridiculous. It's ridiculous rotation of talent. Um, I do still think France will top the group, I have to say. Um, but I think we're going to see a very strong group stage showing from Denmark as well. I think a lot of people were very impressed with Denmark at the Euros. Um, they quite quickly became a lot of people's second team, not only because of uh, all of the horrible stuff that happened with Christian Eriksen, but also because of their style of play. And they've got a, quite a few players who seem to leave their mark on major tournaments. I think Denmark will be the clear uh, the clear choice in second place. Um, I do think France will win the group. But I wouldn't. Gen- I genuinely wouldn't be surprised to see France and Denmark. I think Denmark will beat Australia and will beat Tunisia. So I think Denmark will get six points. Um, they'll probably lose to France. I wouldn't be surprised to see France get nine points, even with all their injuries, because uh, they're just they are such a deep squad. Um, I think France, where it's going to come back to bite them, is all if people had been fit, even if Benzema had been fit and and, and Pogba and Kante were still out as they were already. Uh, I was looking at France as a potential World Cup finalist again. I would be very, very surprised to see them make the World Cup final now. I think they're going to come unstuck at some point. Once you're like three weeks into this tournament, suspensions are biting, fitness is starting to bite because there's so many games. Like I think France will fall short of where they'd like to be. But in terms of the group stage, I don't think they're going to have any trouble at all getting out of the group. So we've got France, Denmark and then Tunisia and Australia to go home. Group E. Now, this was banded as the, and I put in air quotation marks, group of death, if you like, when it first came out, because we've got both big hitters here in Spain and Germany. However, Japan could cause some upsets. Um, how do you see this one going? Yeah, it's inter- this is interesting because uh, following the Canadian team, Canada's, Canada's second warm-up game just a few days ago was against Japan, and Canada actually won uh, with the last minute. They went 1-0 down and then came back to win 2-1 with the last-minute penalty. Um, but early on in that game, Japan caused Canada a, a, a great deal of trouble with their movement and their pace and their uh, quick passing. Um, this is one, I have to say, I've got marked down. I did a predictions piece. Um, I did some predictions before the World Cup started, and this was one I was looking at. I think Spain will win this group because I think they... The young talent, particularly that Spain has, Barcelona had a bit of a, have had a bit of a resurgence as well in recent, you know, somewhat of a resurgence in recent months, and they're producing. They just keep on producing that talent. Um, I think Spain will win the group, and then I think that Germ- I think that Japan will pick Germany to second. That's my prediction for this group. There's got to be a shock somewhere, right, in the group stage. A big gun has got to go out at some point. I think Japan will I think Japan will comfortably beat Costa Rica, maybe like a two nil or a three one kind of situation. Um and I think that Japan will pull out a huge result against Germany. That's my prediction. And Japan will sneak through in second and then won't go very much further. Um and Spain will win the group. 
It's interesting. I think that Spain. I think that Spain will have a bit of trouble against Germany, even though I've said that Japan will beat Germany. Um, so I don't think anybody. I don't think Spain are going to win the group on nine points or anything like that. I don't think this is going to be a group where one team wins all three games. Um, but I think you're looking at something like Spain, Spain on seven, Japan on you know maybe Japan on four, Germany on four, and it coming down to goal difference again, something like that. Um, but Japan are my pick to be one of the surprises at the group stage. So we'll go Spain, Japan. Germany out and extremely disappointed in third and Costa Rica fourth. And I think that Germany going out will uh, will not go down very well there, as you'd expect. Well, there we go. I wasn't expecting that. Not at all. That would be Germany failing at the World Cup for twice, well, twice on the dot since winning it, won't it? Hmm. I think so. I just don't, I don't know. Like, they've obviously got a lot of talent. Um, I think people like, I think people, um, People like Nabry can be key. You know, they've got a lot of attacking talent. But I just, I don't know, there's something about Japan that I just, I do just really fancy them this World Cup. So we'll see. It's it's definitely, for me, it's one of the most interesting groups that one of my many, many countries aren't involved in. <laughs> yeah, well, there we go. It's on record now. Tom thinks Japan will pick Germany to the final knockout spot. Now, Group F, we saw potentially your bias with Wales. Let's see if just how much it will continue with Canada. We've got Belgium, Canada, Morocco and Croatia. Another group that we have already talked quite heavily about. I do have a little bit. I don't bet very much. Bet responsibly, folks. But I do have a small amount of money on Canada to make the knockout stage, I will say. But I think it's more in hope than expectation, if I'm being real. I do think that Canada will pick up points. And I wouldn't be at all surprised to see Canada beat Morocco to third. I just think that I've worked, I've run through these scenarios in my head of how like, you know, like Canada lose narrow, try to keep it, keep the score down against Belgium and lose maybe two nil. Then Canada pull out a draw against Croatia and then Canada win handsomely against Morocco and Belgium thrash Croatia. And so Canada get through in second on goal difference ahead of Croatia. But I just, I don't think I really believe that that's actually going to happen. I think that's mainly me getting swept up in, Canadian fever. So I will. And then you say, woke up. Yeah. So I will say that, I mean, I, I I think Canada has a decent chance of forcing a shock. I think they'll score goals. I think it's the defensive side of things that worry, worries me against teams like Belgium and Croatia. Um, but I think on balance, I'm going to say, I think Belgium will win the group, even though I think they are weaker than they were last World Cup. Um, not just the Lukaku injury, but like, I know Hazard's going there as Belgium captain, I think, but you know it's not exactly the Eden Hazard that we remember, is it these days? And um, but I think even just having the play- players like Kevin De Bruyne in your team is enough for you to win your world, for you to win your group when you're surrounded by a strong supporting cast. So I think Belgium will win the group. I think Croatia will will finish second. I don't think Croatia are going to have the legs to go very far in this tournament. I know that Modric is still world-class at the age of 35 or whatever he is, but they're undoubtedly an ageing team. Now, Croatia, and I think that, like we talked about um, like we talked about earlier uh, in this chat, I think they'll fall, they'll be a team who falls short, I think, as the knockouts go on. But I think, to be realistic, like I think Belgium and Croatia are just going to have a bit too much quality. And not only quality, but it's that experience, that major tournament experience, right? Like Croatia World Cup finalists last time out, Belgium World Cup semi-finalists. Um, just too much experience, too much quality. Uh, but I'm very, like I said, I'm very excited to see how Canada do. I think that Canada, if Canada, I'd be happy as a Canadian 
follower um, as, an, as a Canadian citizen, I'd be happy with the win against Morocco so they can win at a World Cup because they're, they're only time so far, 1986, they went out without... Um, they went out without a win. Did they go out? They might have gone out without scoring a goal. I can't remember, but certainly there's, there's been very little to shout about. So if Canada could beat Morocco and have that moment, um, I think realistically and honestly, most Canadians would be happy with that outcome. So let's go Belgium, Croatia, Canada in third and Morocco in fourth. Well, now we head into the penultimate group. And as I read this list off, this is actually how I think it will end in this group. Group G, we've got Brazil. Serbia, Switzerland and Cameroon. Now, fun fact about Cameroon is I actually had them in my last sweepstake for the World Cup and I got really excited because I thought they would be incredible. Or, no, it was a Brazil World Cup, actually. So it was... Oh, yeah. Yeah, it was a Brazilian World Cup. I had them as a sweepstake. I got really excited and I really backed them and they did sweet nothing. So... I don't have them this time, so I'm not hedging all my bets on them this time. But do you think they can do any better? I do like to see Af- I like to see African teams do well at the World Cup because I think Africa is a real hotbed of footballing talent that can get overlooked a lot by your European centric view when you're talking about World Cups. Having said that, I agree with the order that you read those teams out in. I do think Brazil are going to win the group. I think nine points from nine or certainly seven points from nine. They won't, Brazil won't lose in the group stage, I don't think. Um, and then I see a lot of people, most people I'm seeing are tipping Switzerland for second, which I do understand. It was Switzerland against Serbia at the last World Cup as well in the group stage and Switzerland won 2-1 in the last minute. Um, I do have to hold my hands up and admit there is, impressively, I'm managing to be slightly biased for towards a fourth team in this tournament because my, uh, my in-laws are Serbian. So there's a little bit of bias there as well. But Serbia have got a really good squad. Really good. There are a couple of concerns. Like I know Mitrovic has not played very much in recent weeks. Uh, Dusan Vlavic as well at uh, Juventus has had a, had some concerns. But like their front, their main three attackers, like Mitrovic, Vlavic, Luka Jovic, um, that's serious talent. Dusan Tadic. Still quality for Ajax, always steps up for Serbia. Filip Kostic at Juventus. Like, talent on talent, the Serbia team really are. And I think that this could be the year that it comes together for them because they have not, they've really struggled to make an impact, certainly as an independent nation at World Cups. So obviously, the landscape of uh, Balkan football has changed quite a lot as the landscape of Balkan, Balkan politics has um, since the 90s. Um, but since it became Ser- Serbia and Montenegro for a while, and then Serbia, like they, they, I think the only, you know, they haven't lived up to their potential anytime. I think this can be the year that they can do it. I actually think Serbia, Serbia, I have a, again very small amount of money. But I had a, I've had a little punt on Serbia reaching the quarterfinals at this tournament. I think they'll, if they can get into their stride, I think they're going to be a really nasty team to for anyone to face. Um, so I will say gamble possible- responsibly. <laughs> gamble responsibly indeed um i will say brazil serbia serbia just tipping switzerland and then cameroon propping up the group i mean it's i'm glad that you noticed the pool of talent for serbia um if switzerland are gonna pip them to second then they'll have a lot of scratching to do to get rid of tadic blahovic mitrovic <laughs> <laughs> a lot of itches. yeah I oh, said that was really poor. Um, 
let's move on to the last group before the knockouts. I'm, I'm actually quite disappointed in myself there. I can't, I can't <laughs> lie, I've let myself down there. Um, Portugal, Ghana, and then a lot of people's hot favourites for first in the group, actually, Uruguay and South Korea. How do you see this one playing out? I Honestly, I see this as being a straight shootout between Portugal and Uruguay for top spot. I do think Portugal will get it because I just think they... I think Portugal have a very, very good squad. I know like Renato, there's a lot of issues. There's a lot of talk, obviously. There's a lot of issues with Ronaldo. Like how long have we got? Do you know what I mean? But like the, for the on-field stuff and the off-field stuff. But like if there's one thing you can put your money on, it's that Ronaldo at some point in this World Cup is going to step up for his country. Similar to how Gareth Bale steps up for Wales. Ronaldo will step up for Portugal at some point. Um, if Portugal, if Diogo Jota wasn't injured, Portugal would be one of my dark horses to go a long, long way in this tournament. I don't think they have what it takes to win it because I don't I don't really think Fernando Santos as a manager is good enough to take them all the way. Um, but I think Portugal are a very strong side. I think, I th- I think they will probably win this group. Um, but Uruguay have arguably their most talented squad since they had that br- they had that period, didn't they, where they had uh, Suarez, Cavani, and Diego Forlan all as their like three attacking options, which was an insane depth of talent in attack. Um, I think this is Uruguay's best squad since since then. Um, even your sort of unfashionable players like Bentancur performing to a high level um, in the heart. What you know, what most people, a lot of people deem the hardest league in the world. Um, so it's it's going to be really interesting. I think it's I think honestly this group is going to come to, it's just going to come down to the Portugal Uruguay game and maybe some fine fine margins in there. Um, if I had to put numbers on it, I'd put Portugal first, Uruguay second. I'm not completely writing off South Korea or Ghana. I just think that both Portugal and Uruguay have got too much quality and too much experience really to not make it through the group. Well, there we go. And just like that, we're into the round of 16 and back where your heart is as the first one coming up is, in fact, Netherlands versus Wales. Oh, yeah. Valiant, valiant effort from the from the Welsh and, and they lose by a single goal. That's what I that's would be, that would be my if we got to that stage and we got to that game. I think that would be my honest hand on heart prediction. Well, there we go. Netherlands making it through. Next up, Argentina versus Denmark. South America versus Europe. Similar similar vibes for me. Valiant effort from Denmark, I think. Wouldn't be surprised to see them score and trouble Argentina, but like Argentina, like they've got so it's not even just about Messi. I know there's a lot of talk about the stars aligning for Messi and this being his year. But like Argentina, they've got so much talent, particularly in attack. It's just gonna be too much for most teams, I think. So I would say Argentina probably pretty comfortably would be would wow. be too much. Emmy Martinez into a World Cup quarterfinal. Next, Spain versus Croatia, two Europeans. Mm-hmm. Um, Spain. Spain. Probably Brazil close- versus Pro- Uruguay. Uh, in- it's interesting. I think, you know, if we got to that point, I think Uruguay could cause Brazil a lot, of pro- a lot of problems. Everyone's going on about Brazil's squad and I understand it, but I think they're very, I think they're very top heavy as a squad. And if you're, if you come up against an opponent who are well drilled and very well managed and they can mark, you know, they can, they can keep the lid down, clamp down on Neymar and they can be that hard team to break down. Um, I think Brazil could run into some trouble. So I wouldn't be surprised to see if Brazil face Uruguay, 
Um, Uruguay on penalties. You're going Uruguay. Uruguay on penalties. Oh, that's a bigger shout than Germany heading out in the groups. That well, Brazil are outright favourites to win. So to go out in the in the round of sixteen is is huge. Anyway, I, I I rate it, and you know if it if it works, then feel free to come back to this section and gloat until your heart's content. Listen, I am. <laughs> I, there'll be no gloating here because I am absolutely winging these predictions right now <laughs> as they come up. Um, but, yeah, I don't know. There's going to be some shocks along the way, so why not? Do you know what I mean? Yeah, of course. Of course. Hopefully there's not too many shocks here because the next one we've got is England-Ecuador. Uh, England-Ecuador would be something like 3 or 4-1 to England, I think, genuinely. I know I said before, I think Ecuador are a pretty decent side always turn up, but I don't think you could really describe Ecuador as any more than sort of like a solid competitive team. I don't... England are... England are better than than they were than we were, I guess. <laughs> England being one of my four, um, England are better than they were at the Euros, and I um, will come to it as we go through the tournament tree. I'm in- interested to see how this happens, but it's going to be hard to stop England, I think. Yeah, completely. And once again, it's Europe versus South America in France versus Mexico. That'll be France. Maybe not, you know, not not quite comfortable, thrashing or not a thrashing, but maybe like a two nil. Comfortable. Okay, okay, I like it. And then the last, the last two, Belgium versus Japan. Uh, it's fascinating because that's a re. There was. The, do you remember the Belgium Japan game at twenty eighteen? When Japan were two 0 up, and then Belgium scored in the last minute on that counter attack. Um, I'd love to see that game. I think that'd be a great game again. Um, I think Japan would put up one hell of a fight. Might even go to extra time, but Belgium would just have enough to win that. Well, there we go. Japan knocking Germany out, but not being able to do the same to Belgium. And so who have last I, of all, so who have I knocked Portugal. out? So I've knocked out Germany and Brazil so far, have I? Germany, Germany failed to make it out of the group, and Brazil have fallen at the first stage of the knockouts yeah. in the round of sixteen. Don't put money on this, kids. Gamble responsibly. <laughs> Don't put money on this. <laughs> and then the the last the last one is Portugal versus Serbia. Oh yeah, I don't know. I'd like to say I'd like to say Serbia, both for my slight my slight in law bias, but also because I'd love to see this Serbia team go a long way. I think they're I think they're really talented. Um, it's tough. I could see Serbia winning that. Um, Portugal just, just Portugal just. There we another go. One, another one I could see going to extra time and then being a one goal win. You know. Yeah, that can that I mean that makes sense definitely. Um, into the quarterfinals and we have oh we have some big hitters here, so and a few more big teams are going to have to head out. Tom, first of all, Netherlands versus Argentina. I think you sort of covered it with Netherlands already that you think they'd be quite satisfied with quarterfinals and coming up against one of the tournament favourites in Argentina. I mean, not to make your prediction for you. you oh, yeah. Say, that, that, that'd be Argentina, it'd be Argentina for me. I just think, yeah, Netherlands. I don't think are going to have enough in the tank to go go particularly far. They're like, they're a good team, but I think Argentina are uh, a level above, to be honest. So Ar- Argentina, that's Argentina into the semis. Similar to Netherlands, um, you back Uruguay to to go quite a way through their valiant effort and through their talent pool. However, now they come up against Spain. Spain. I know I, I know I I know I knocked I know I knocked Brazil out with Uruguay. Um but Spain I think uh 
I think Spain are being... I haven't seen many people tipping Spain to win the tournament. And while I don't necessarily think they'll win it, we'll see how this turns out, um, I think they're, they're being overlooked. Cole can always edit it if, if they do. <laughs> I, think they're a, I think they're a dark horse. I think they'll have too much for Uruguay Spain. So that's uh, Spain through with Argentina. There we go. Next up is one of your four teams, and I think the only one of your four teams to make it through to the quarterfinals, England versus France. No, I don't know. I can't. I'm... I. That's very hard to call. If you'd have asked me four years, you know, if you'd have asked me four years ago or even a couple of years ago, I'd have said maybe a close game, but I'd have said France would win that without really too much of a consideration. But, you know, I don't know. With all of France's injuries, um, and again, similar to similar to what I was saying earlier about, I can't remember, Bruno, was it for Belgium? But if you can, um, oh no, Brazil, I think it was, Neymar. If you can lock, if you can sort of lock down and put the brakes on Mbappe, at this World Cup, you're kind of nullifying not all of France's threat, obviously, but like a lot of it. You know, when you don't have to, before you had to worry about marking Mbappe and, ben, and Benzema and shutting them out of the game. But if you shut Mbappe out, you probably shut down most of France's attack. I, as an Englishman, sort of can't believe I'm saying this, but I'm going to go with England. England to beat France in the quarterfinal. And then who will England be facing in the semis? Will it be Belgium or will it be Portugal? Belgium. But don't ask me to explain why. <laughs> <laughs> Moving swiftly on. Well, well, we'll start with that one. Um, you've pitted them against each other. England versus Belgium. Is this England's chance to make it to back-to-back finals in international major competitions? Is it their time? Oh, can I predict England to reach a World Cup final? Do I, do I have that in me as an Englishman to make that prediction? Feels so, it feels wrong to be that confident. Um, that'd be, I mean, that'd be very close, I think. I really do. I've got a lot of faith in this England team this year. Um, I think it would go, it would go extra time, decided by one goal. I'm gonna, I'm gonna go with England, I think. I think I'm gonna. England, England to win by a goal in extra time and reach a World Cup final. There we go. And then who will be joining them in that final? Will it be Spain? Or will it be Emmy Martinez, Argentina? I said at the before in a previous prediction before I recorded this podcast before the tournament started that I thought that Argentina would win this tournament, and I'm gonna stick with it. Like Argentina, Spain, I ugh, like. I mean, that's so difficult, but I'm, I'm gonna say Argentina, um, one way or another. We'll do it. Honestly, I think let's have some pro Villa bias on this on this normally Villa podcast. I haven't found odds for it yet. It's something I've meant to look at, but gamble responsibly, kids. Uh, one, bet would, <laughs> one bet that I would be tempted to put down would be um, Emmy Martinez for goalkeeper of the tournament. Honestly, let's have some pro Villa bias. But I think, because you know what he's going to be like? He's going to shithouse his way through it like he does with Villa games as well. Um, and I think that, I think that Argentina's... I think Argentina would just have too much for Spain. I think Spain might falter because um, they're very talented, but a lot of their talent is quite young these days and doesn't have that big tournament experience, maybe. Um, so let's go Argentina, which means I've set up Argentina, England, haven't I, in the World Cup final? Dear me. Here we go. That is the final. You previously mentioned that you said before that Argentina were your winners. However, the fact that they're facing England... Is it possible to predict England to lose in a major final or are you going to have to go all the way on this one? I'm going to stick with Argentina for two reasons. I think that England 
probably I think that England probably would like if England played Argentina like you know like tomorrow or this week I think that England would probably lose to Argentina with the caveat that we haven't seen Argentina play yet at this tournament um and I just I'm going to end on the fact that I simply cannot predict England to win a World Cup like I don't think you'll ever find me being that it's the same way I can ever predict Villa like this is going to be the year the, the year that Villa win the FA Cup you're never going to hear me say those words so <laughs> Um, so we will have Argentina beating England in the World Cup final, it seems. There we go. Heartbreak again in the finals for England. All thanks to Tom. <laughs> hopefully, hopefully, like you said, your predictions don't come true and England do, in fact, go on to win it. And then Villa go on to win the FA Cup to make it even sweeter and maybe make up for Emi Martinez missing out on the trophy. But... There we have it. Argentina are Tom Nightingale's winners for this World Cup. In case you were wondering, they are also mine as well. I predicted Argentina to go all the way. Anyway, thank you for joining me, Tom. It is getting very late and I need to go to bed. Um, For people listening, look forward to the next month filled with non-stop football back-to-back. As a football fan, despite all the surrounding dramas that are going on in the World Cup, one thing that we can take solace to is the fact that all this football will be enjoyed nevertheless. And we can sit down and enjoy some really good teams battling head-to-head to to go for the star-studded World Cup just before Christmas. Who will be taking it home and will they be wrapping it in Christmas paper or not? If you have enjoyed the podcast, make sure to check Tom out on Twitter and also check our page out at 7500 to halt if you haven't already. Thank you for giving up your time and putting your neck on the line, Tom, to predict how you think this is going to go because predictions are a minefield and they genuinely can go either way so I appreciate your help in doing that and once again thank you for listening and up the villa up the villa catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row dreaming of something better well hello fresh is your guilt-free dream come true baby it's me geeky palmer let's wake up those taste buds with hot juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi Mm. hello fresh stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at hellofresh.com let's get this dinner party started 